Hello, church. Uh, we, I know we have some guests here this morning. I met some of you before the service started. Once a month, we offer, uh, we call it a Discover class for those who may be looking for a church home, and that happens to be today. It's the second Sunday of every month. So if that's you, it's about a 30-minute presentation on what we believe, our core beliefs, and how to get involved should you choose to do so. So you're invited to stay for that after the service today. Just go out those double doors and turn right. Follow the sign to room W2 right over here. We'd love to have you stay and listen to that presentation. Ask any questions that you may have. So on October 27, 2004, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. Why was that significant? Because it was the first time for the Red Sox to win the series since 1918, finally vanquishing the so-called curse of the who? Curse of the Bambino. Curse of the Bambino. That curse was, had plagued them for 86 years. The misfortune began after the Red Sox sold star player Babe Ruth, sometimes nicknamed the Bambino, to the New York Yankees in the offseason of the 1919-1920 series. Sometimes to understand the significance of a victory, you've got to go back in time and history to the curse. And that's what we're going to do today as we talk about heaven. Now, if you are new to us, you're in the final sermon of a sermon series. Last Sunday was the penultimate message, and today is the final message. And the subtitle of this is called Solid Subtitle, A Sure Word for a Shaky World. And the sure word today is the word heaven. Now, that's a sure word for a shaky world. It could also be a sure word for some shaky Christians. Not all Christians deep down are excited about going to heaven. Now, I think all Christians prefer the idea of going to heaven versus the alternative, but are not necessarily excited about heaven itself, particularly the traditional view of heaven as disembodied spirits, floating on clouds, plucking on harps, singing in a never-ending church sing-along. That doesn't do it for a lot of people. As harsh as life might be sometimes on this planet, a lot of people would prefer life on this planet to that vision. So there's a reason for that. And by the time we're done today, I hope we understand the reason why. And that really my goal is that all of us will be excited at the prospect of eternal life in heaven. That's, that's part of my goal for today. As that, that excitement and that anticipation, it colors everything else that we do and everything else about our faith. So we're going to look at this in four stages this morning, four stages. Stage number one, is mankind and paradise together forever, God's original intent. Right? Mankind and paradise together forever, God's original intent. Now, let me read a long passage of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then verses 26 through 31. And the reason I'm laying this is just to lay the foundation for everything else we're going to say. This is, this is the prototype, what God intended, His purpose in creating from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So now we're skipping to verse 26. There's a lot of creative activity going on in the in-between verses. 
But then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image and the image of God had created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has life, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So the original intent of God, and this is the prototype, and this is the paradigm that God created mankind and God created a planet Earth to live on together forever. That was his intent. Think of a husband, newlyweds, and the husband says, I'm going to build you a house. So he goes and he's got the, the skills and he brick and mortar and wood and he constructs this beautiful house and then he brings his bride. This is our house. This is, I made it for you. And God makes the house, he constructs the earth, and then he makes mankind, and this is the home that he has made for him. them. That was the original intent. You and I were made for this planet, and this planet was made for us. There's a documentary on YouTube called The Privileged Planet. That's part of the theme of this documentary. And part of the thrust is the anthropic principles, the idea that this there are things about this planet, there's at least 20 specific elements that indicate this planet was designed for sentient life and for human beings in particular, mathematically and scientifically. It's not that just that this just didn't happen by chance, but for all intents and purposes, what we have here could not have happened by chance. Let me show you, just to drive this home on a mathematical scientific level, this point, mankind in paradise, together forever, God's original intent. Let me show you about three minutes from this movie. We find that we need to be at the right location in the galaxy, that we're inside the circumstellar habitable zone of a star, that we're in a planetary system with giant planets that can shield the inner planets from too many comet impacts, that we're orbiting the right kind of star that's not too cool or not too hot, that we're on a planet that has a moon that can stabilize the tilt of its axis, that we're on a planet that's a terrestrial planet, a planet that has a crust that's just thick enough that it can maintain plate tectonic activity, but it has enough heat in its interior that it's still circulating its liquid iron core so it can generate a magnetic field, that it has an atmosphere that has enough oxygen to allow for complex organisms to survive, that it has enough water and enough continents to allow for the diversity of life or an active biosphere that you need to support complex creatures such as ourselves. All these factors have to be met at one place and time in the galaxy if you're going to have a planet as habitable as the Earth, which you need for complex and even technological life. In an attempt to estimate the probability of attaining this combination of factors simultaneously, some researchers have developed equations assigning a conservative 1 in 10 value to each factor deemed necessary for advanced life. 
if every element has to be there at the same time. You have to multiply the probabilities, and that's what makes the probability at the end so small. You've got 10% of this and 10% of that, and these things rapidly multiply to exceedingly small numbers. The numbers on the order of 10 to minus 15, which is 1,000th one of 1, 1 trillion. And it's a number like that that you have to compare to the 100 billion stars that are in the galaxy. 100 billion is a very large number, but a thousandth of a trillion is much, much smaller. On their face value, these probabilities are speaking. What they're telling us is this can't happen, or this is very unlikely to happen in the galaxy. And that's where the evidence is pushing us. There are many probabilistic resources in the galaxy, but on the other side of the coin are all these factors that you need. You have to get just right in order to have just one habitable planet like the Earth. And that leads me to conclude that yes, we're rare in the galaxy. Scientifically and mathematically, um, we can see that this planet was made for us and we were made for this planet. I'm not a mathematician, I'm a preacher. I'm not a scientist, I'm a preacher. But you don't have to have a PhD in science or mathematics. You just have to have common sense to be able to see that. And not only in those disciplines, but in our hearts, we sense it, we intuit it, we feel it, that this is what we were made for. Okay, so that's stage one, the original intent. Number two, mankind in paradise cursed, sin's destructive result. Second stage, Genesis 3:17 and following, to Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate the of the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce, produce thorns and thistles for you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. This is probably a familiar passage to most of us here this morning. We don't need to do a deep dive into it. I'm really just making the one point that the curse came upon, as a result of sin, the curse came not only upon mankind but also upon the ground. It also, the, the planet was cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. Our home that God created. You say, why did God do that? That seems a little vindictive. The innocent planet didn't do anything. Well, apparently it's because mankind and our planet are linked together. Our destinies are intertwined. We are joined at the hip. The destiny of mankind is joined to the destiny of this planet. And when the sin came, the curse came on our environment. And it wasn't just an Edenic curse. It wasn't just a local curse. It wasn't even just a global curse. It's a universal cosmic curse. The New Testament expands upon the, the extent of this curse. Romans chapter 8, verse 19, Paul writes, and in this passage, let's notice how many times the phrase, all creation, appears. At least three times in four verses, and it's implied a fourth time. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But we eagerly hope, but with eager hope, the creation looks 
forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The curse that came upon mankind was an inclusive curse. What does that all creation include? If we did do a deep dive into that phrase and into those words, we'd see it was not just our planet, but it's the entire solar system. It's the galaxy. It's all the galaxies. It's everything that was created. And God is the only thing that wasn't created. So it envelops everything, all from the most distant quasar to the smallest cell in our bodies. That's the extent of the curse. We're so used to death in our experience. It's easy to think of it as natural, but death is not natural. It was not in the beginning, the original intent. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, death came through a man. Uh, C.S. Lewis, a popular writer from a past generation, he wrote theology, he wrote fantasy, the Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote science fiction. He has a science fiction trilogy of books. The second book in that trilogy is called Paralandra. And in this book, C.S. Lewis has a protagonist, and his name is Ransom. And Ransom is flying in a spaceship, out into space to the planet Venus. This is the planet that C.S. Lewis calls Paralandra. And Ransom has a mission. On Venus, in this book, you have two living beings. They correspond to Adam and Eve back on earth. But they have not yet been tempted and they have not sinned. And so you have this, this pristine pair of humanoids on a pristine planet that has not been cursed or affected or sin, and affected by the curse. And so Ransom's mission is to intercept the tempter and prevent the same thing happening in Paralandra that happened back on earth. So C.S. Lewis gets to use his imagination and imagine this world that's untainted by sin, and, he, and he's so good at that. But my point in bringing that up is not really that in itself, but if, if what we're teaching here is true, what we understand the Bible to teach is true, that's really not even possible, not only because we know Venus is uninhabitable, but because if there were two living beings on the planet, they've already been cursed by sin, and that planet's been cursed by sin. And if the naturalistic scientists who are desperate to find some kind of life on some other planet, and, you know, we're spending billions and trillions of dollars searching for life on other planets because they believe if it's spontaneously generated here, it must have happened somewhere else or there's this desperate search. If they do find life on another planet, if they were to, it's cursed because every created thing has been cursed. All right, but that's just stage two. That's stage two. Sin's destructive result is the curse. Stage three, mankind in paradise redeemed redeemed. Christ's decisive victory. Let's get the biblical data here. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And Revelation 22.3, no longer will there be any curse. Okay, mankind and paradise redeemed. That word redeemed, it's a God word. It's kind of a theological word. It simply means to buy back, to redeem is to buy back. 
If I fall in hard times and I need to pawn something, for instance, I take my wedding band here to the pawn shop and I pawn it, maybe it's a quarter of an ounce and it's 14 karat golds and maybe I get 400 bucks for it, I give him my ring, he gives me $400 and a ticket, and, and I go on my way. I haven't sold it, I've pawned it. It's a loan. So if I'm able to recoup that money and go back within the specified period of time, I can pay the $400 back with interest, turn in the ticket, get my ring back. That's redeeming my ring. It's buying back my ring. That's redemption. And the idea in Scripture is that God has an ownership claim on us by virtue of creation. Because what you create, you own. If you write a book, it's your intellectual property. You own it. God owns us by virtue of creation. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Why? The world and all its people belong to him, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. But we send away our freedom. We send ourselves into bondage of death. And Satan had the power of death until Jesus came and redeemed us and bought us back. The extent of Jesus' redemption is as far as the curse is found. Do you recognize these lyrics of the Christmas hymn? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. How far? As far as the curse is found. You know what hymn that is? Joy to the world. Far as the curse is found. And that is true. The redemption of Christ extends as far as the curse is found. For you, for me, for the planet, and for the cosmos. You ever seen this acronym before? NIMBY? What does that stand for? Not in my backyard. NIMBY, not in my backyard. It's kind of like somebody may be aware of their environment. They can take a stand about their home or their neighborhood or the planet. Um, so nuclear waste dump, not in my backyard. Brain-eating cell phone tower, not in my backyard. Right? Crime magnet crack house, not in my backyard. Busloads of illegal immigrants, not in Martha's Vineyard's backyards. So Satan is like a cosmic home invader coming into God's house, God's home, and God's neighborhood. That he created, and you say, there goes the neighborhood, because he's trashing the neighborhood. You can't let your kids go out and play, because he's a predator and he's evil. And the biblical picture is, God's not having that. God says to Satan, not in my backyard. Do we think that God is going to stand by and let Satan come in and trash his earth and take his children? So in redemption, God sends his son to make it possible. We all have free will. We have to make a choice. But for any of us who choose to do so, we can be redeemed and God will buy us back from the penalty of death. And, and that's great in and of itself. But remember, we're intertwined with our planet. And it's not just human beings who are redeemed. The entire creation the cosmos is redeemed. So remember our first point was foundational. Mankind and paradise together forever, God's original intent. 
God never gave up that idea. He never gave up on you or on me or on this planet, our home. He's not going to create a whole new species of humanoids, and he's not going to create a whole new planet. He wants the ones he originally created, and he wants this planet. And so he made that possible. So, so you can extrapolate where we're going. And when we talk about heaven, where we're going to wind up, which is the fourth stage. Mankind and paradise restored the final chapter. Isaiah 66, behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. 2 Peter 3.13, in keeping with this promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In Acts 3.21, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. We're going back to the beginning. That's what heaven is. Now, we live in an already not yet in-between time. We have been redeemed by God. When we were baptized, we were raised to walk in a newness of life. So our spirits have been redeemed, but we're still in the same bodies. We're still living on this planet. The price has been paid for the planet. But until Jesus returns to restore all things, we're looking at a planet not as it was originally created nor intended. It's kind of a half-tone image of the original creation. It's shrouded by the effects of the curse, but even still, there's so much about this planet that we love and that attracts us because God has built that into us. We're going to see a whole new type of earth when Jesus returns in, in the resurrection. And we're going to see it with something else we've never had before, brand new bodies, indestructible, incorruptible bodies. You know, I preached a, a, a heaven sermon series few years ago. And one of the ladies in the church emailed me a comment. I asked her if I could read it. And it reads like this. If you would have asked me why I don't want to go to heaven, I would have told you it isn't that I don't want to go. I just don't want to die. I absolutely love this planet that we live on. The sky is so beautiful. A new canvas constantly throughout the day. The trees and grass and flowers. I could go on and on. But I do so much love life here and, and with my family. Life is great. You want to see what your kids become and your grandchildren, what will they look and be like? I'm only afraid of the dying part and not being a part of this wonderful, awesome planet that we live on. That kind of resonates with me, and maybe it resonates with you as well. And there's a reason for that, because we were, God put it into us. We were designed to have bodies and live on a planet. And we're going to see a new earth, and it's new in the sense that it goes through a purging process like gold or silver are refined in a fire. It comes out the other side, but it's still an earth. There's a continuity between this earth and the new earth. And we ourselves are going to get new bodies, and they will be different. They'll be upgraded, but there's a continuity between these bodies and our new bodies. We don't have to ask, body? What's a body? We know what a body is. We don't have to ask, earth, what's an earth? We know what an earth is. The new heavens and the new earth, there's only one reason for God to create a new earth. That's for people to live on. And there's only one reason for us to have resurrected bodies and not be disembodied spirits. That's so that we can live 
on an earth. And that's what heaven consists of. I don't know a lot about heaven. There's more that we don't know than that we do know. But I think this is one thing for sure that we do know. Resurrected bodies on an actual planet earth. Perhaps fulfilling the original mandate that God had for us to rule over the earth, to develop it, to cultivate it, and maybe even on into space. Who knows? It's reading in Hebrews in the one-year Bible. I'm, I'm close with this. And the Hebrew writer there in chapter 11, he's talking about all the accomplishments of people of faith, but also about their challenges, the persecutions, uh, that uh, they were living in holes and caves and running around in sheepskin and goatskin. And many of them were killed and they were beaten. But they persevered. And that's what he's telling the Hebrews. Persevere. Don't give it up. When life is hard and challenging, hang in there. Don't take a sinful shortcut. Hang in and be faithful to God. And here's one of the things he says, and this is in the New Living Translation. It's Hebrews 11. It's either verse 25 or verse 26. He says, they were looking forward to a better life after the resurrection. The life, this is not the only life we're going to live. The Bible teaches the life that we're going to live after the resurrection is better than our best day here in this life. And our worst day here in this life, that one will make it worthwhile. We're looking for a better life after the resurrection. And that's why I like to say for every Christian, our best days are ahead of us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this vision of what lies ahead, of what lies on the other side. We don't know everything, but we know enough to know that that's where we're going. That's where we want to be, is in our resurrected bodies on the resurrected earth, fulfilling your mandate and your mission for us. We thank you, God, that we have the hope of a better life after the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.